friends and family of two service um, people, people who are in um, the army and the RAF respectfully. And, and what's been clear is that there's a sense of parting as members of the forces go on deployment. And I know some of you have connections um, through active service or through friendships and family relationships as well to those being deployed. So there's a sense of parting, but then after six or nine months, there's this sense of coming back together. And there's that journey of homecoming whereby people who have been apart for such a long period of time come back together and get used to being with each other again. And it got me thinking that it was quite a nice analogy for what we do when we confess our wrongdoing. Homecomings, of course, appear in the Bible. When we, when we look in Luke, for example, in Luke chapter 15, we find the passage of the prodigal son. The son who went away, parted from his family, from his father, and from all those relationships he had. And then, after squandering his inheritance, came back. However, the sense of being apart and coming home is also contained in Nehemiah this morning. During the Isaiah series, we heard about the spread of the Babylonian people and the destruction of Judah, forcing the Jews to flee from their homeland. This meant that God's own people were in exile from Jerusalem, from where the temple was located. And during Nehemiah's time, under King Cyrus of the Persian Empire, um, they were allowed back. And they were allowed to inhabit, to, to, to dwell in Jerusalem again. And they set about a work of restoration, of rebuilding the city walls, of rebuilding the temple as a place of worship, as a symbol of God's presence with his people. They had been apart, but now they had returned. And at the heart of confession is this journey of homecoming and forgiveness. The recognition that either with the whole of our lives or with a particular part of our lives, we've perhaps stepped aside from the plan and purpose that God has for us. And there are times when we need to come home into the Father's love. And confession gives us that opportunity. Confession always allows us to seek out God's grace and forgiveness. And so confession becomes an act through which the grace and mercy of God can enter our lives afresh. And because we all live uh, broken lives, it's great to be able to come to the Father week after week and to confess our brokenness and our need of his grace and forgiveness. And part of that journey is that we may grow in our, into the likeness of Christ, that as we recognize and confess um, our wrongdoings, so we grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, in the ways that he would want us to speak and think and behave towards each other. So before Mike takes us on and gives us some opportunities around your tables to think about confession in the first part of this service, I want to give you some pointers that are both designed to be a reality check, but also as a way of approaching what comes next. Firstly, forgiveness requires that, we are, that when we confess our sins, that we recognise what it is we're confessing. 
If we don't identify what our wrongdoing is, then we can't begin to put it right. So we need to identify what we're doing. And the second uh, thing that I want to share with you about confession is that to confess our sins and to seek God's forgiveness, we actually need to condemn that wrongdoing. Strong language, and it might, it might shock you to have that language of condemnation. But we can come to God and seek his forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. And of course, on the cross, we don't just see Jesus chastised or rebuked, but we see him condemned for the sins of the world. And there needs to be that point where we recognize not only the presence of wrongdoing in our lives, but to actively condemn that wrongdoing as well. Now, there's, there's a caveat to this, which is really important for you to know. When we talk about confession in, in our table groups, it's not about other people condemning you or other people sitting in judgment over your life. It's about you holding your life before God in the full knowledge of his love and grace and saying, Father, I recognize that I've got this wrong. I know it to be wrong, and I'm seeking your help in putting it right. That's, that's really important for you to know. And finally, in our exploring of confession, we must accept the reality that the gift of God to us is not to count our wrongdoing against us. The genuine release of a genuine debt was the action of Jesus on the cross. Our homecoming is not in doubt. If we seek God's forgiveness, we'll find it. Mike. God, our creator, maker of a universal community still in process. God, who created precious resources to provide for all. God, who created us to be connected as companions with God. The earth and people of every race, class, generation, gender and ability. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's son, our saviour, who was ridiculed, tortured and executed for the sins of humankind. He rose from the dead, overthrew the dominance of evil and injustice for our sake. And he continues to judge and liberate the hatred, ignorance and arrogance of all humanity. We believe the way of Jesus is our way, our way of light and our way of life. We believe in the Spirit of God, our advocate, whose blaze comforts with divine presence and challenges human hearts to burn for righteousness. We see the process of God in our lives and throughout the world and trust that God's work through our actions can bring peace. These creeds are powerful statements of belief. They're statements that have sent people to prison and their death in years gone by and continue to do so in our current world. But more than that, there are affirmation that I, we believe that God is God and that Jesus is his son and that he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And the people of Nehemiah's time who had known exile came to know the grace of God in being brought back into Jerusalem and the restoration of the city walls and of the temple and the assurance that God's everlasting presence was with them as his people. And so when you reread the passage from chapter 1 um, that Julie read to us um, at the start of the service, you discover people with a belief in an everlasting God who answers prayer, 
who is with his people. And we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about these affirmations of faith. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, so, um, on your tables, there should now be uh, an A3 piece of paper with a creed on it. There are six different creeds dotted around the room, some quite lengthy and wordy, some, uh, the shortest one is just three words. I'm going to encourage you to spend some time having a look at the, the creed on your, uh, on your table. There are some questions to help you discuss it, or it might just be a help, something you can just discuss for yourselves. And then I encourage you to move around, have a look, see what other creeds you can find. Um, the Chalcedonian Creed, there's only one copy of that because it's really difficult. If anyone fancies a challenge um, and some rather awkward English, but really the fullest explanation of what Christians believe about Jesus, um, then come and have a look just down here. But take a minute, discuss, and have a think about what, what's actually central and important in Christian belief. And look at these statements, many of which have spilled vast amounts of ink, some of which have spilled vast amounts of blood in there, putting together. And just take the opportunity to have a discussion about what, what's important in our faith, what's important in your faith. Some of them uh, are in the, in the uh, third person. Uh, we believe, we believe, we believe. Some of them are first person. I believe. Does it matter? Take the opportunity to have a discussion. Uh, feel free to grab some more coffee or croissant if you so wish. John's going to play some more music for us. Yeah, you've you've got a nice long one there. <laughs> but is it important to have such a long creed?